You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Man, what a powerful word from Miss Jennifer about navigating through life and difficult circumstances. As we begin today, let's pray. Ask God's blessings in our time. Father, we love you. Praise you for your love, your goodness to all of us as we are gathered here together to worship you in true spirit and in truth. Be glorified, be magnified, be praised this day. Father, speak through us, to us through your word. Give us your insights. Give us your word for us today to hear, to apply to our lives. We love and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very excited you chose to join us today in worship. Worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in our series called A Merry Christmas. We've been looking at the life of Mary, looking through her eyes at what she saw at Christmas, feeling what she felt at Christmas. Thus far, we've looked at Mary's life about being told by Gabriel she would give birth to the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Mary receiving this big God-sized plan for her life, this humanly impossible plan, but she walks through it in four ways. She has favor. She walks in favor with God. Gabriel says, you're a favored one, favored woman among other women. She had a moment of fear, of course, when Gabriel says, you're going to birth the Son of God. She's like, what? Fear captured her for a moment. But then she took a step of courage to say, God, I will do this. And that step of courage led her to a lifelong fulfillment of faith. So favor, fear, courage, and faith. Mary shows us how we must process and respond to God's calling on our lives at these God-sized plans he lays before us. Mary, she walked in favor with God. She then took a step of, she had faced with fear. She took a step of courage, and she then walked out her faith in obedience to God's purpose and plan for her life. That's our example. We also looked at how Mary was also, had went to celebrate with Elizabeth, her cousin, on her birth, miraculous birth. And going to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth turns, the, turns it on her and blesses her with saying, sort of like solidifying in her heart, this is real, this is true, you're blessed among all women. The blessing of them to me, the mother of my Lord will visit me. Your child will be blessed. Mary walks out of that writing her song of praise, her Magnificat, commemorating Christ's call in her life to be the mother of the Son of God and celebrating Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to fast forward through the Christmas story. Just hold on. We're going to save the birth of Jesus for this coming Saturday, Christmas Eve. Today, we're going to look at some other prominent figures in the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth. We're going to look at the wise men and their journey to find Jesus. As we do that, I want to challenge you to really realize and understand, we're going to connect some dots here, because there is also the element of worshiping like the wise men, but also receiving what Mary received and what they brought in worship had a way of giving her worry and really causing her to see fulfillment of God's promise further again in some troubling times for her. So what came as worship from the wise men caused her to go, oh, 
this is coming true. This is coming real. So hold on and let's paint the picture, okay? So the wise men. Before we get there, though, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated in the temple, presented to God, about eight days old. They go to meet Simeon, the priest. God had revealed to Simeon that he was older in age and said, you will not die until you see, till you hold, till you actually get a glimpse of the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph walk in with Jesus, Simeon knows this is him. I have finally found what God promised to me. But then Simeon has some words for Mary. Mary and Joseph, but specifically Mary. Luke in Luke chapter 2, look at verse 34 and 35 of Luke 2. We're going to connect some dots here. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Put yourself in that story right there just for a moment before the, anything else happens. All I got to say is, wow, what a word to tell to the mother of a newborn. Would you agree? If I walked into your house and you just give birth eight days before this to a child and said, you better be careful. This child's going to cause the rise and fall of many. And a sword's going to pierce your soul because of this child's life. Whew. But that's what Mary heard when Jesus was eight days old. Now, what we see coming from the wise men to Jesus as a young child confirms that prophetic word from Simeon. As hard as it is. But also, we got to see our walking and worshiping like the wise men in our lives, but also see what it did to Mary. Turn your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 2. Back two books, two Gospels, Matthew chapter 2. Let's begin to see the wise men's journey and how we need to worship like the wise men. Verse 1 says this After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at his rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, fun notes here, okay? We don't know the names of the wise men. That's not important. We don't know how many. We say three because of what they brought. That's just what we do. We also say, we also realize that uh, we understand that maybe, possibly, that they came by many more than three because a couple reasons. Number one is this. They would have probably, look at the significance of what they're trying to find. So in all the people from the East that are searching this out, why just three? And it's significant to this event, this person, why just three? Second would be that when they travel, there would be family and servants with them. So there's a whole entourage when they traveled. And third would be this. They wreaked havoc. They disturbed Herod and, and all Jerusalem, okay? 
Now, in the tiny town of Drexel, where I was born and lived, one flashing light here in Burke County, I want to tell you this. If three people came into town, it wouldn't even stir, stir up things in Drexel, <laughs> much less Jerusalem. So I say it has to be more than three. But this is fun notes. And also, I don't want to bust your bubble. Don't go home and rearrange your manger scenes, okay? But the wise men were not at the manger. And the reason we say that is this, because they did not begin their journey to after Jesus was born. And it says they found him in a house, not a stable, not a manger. Okay, so I don't want to bust your bubble. But this is some fun facts about the wise men. Here they come, and they come to looking for Jesus. And it's very significant in how they describe Jesus and how they saw the star that began this journey. They said, look at verse 2 again. It says, they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east at its rising and have come to worship him. How did they describe Jesus? <laughs> who is he who was born king of the Jews? Note, Christ did not become king. He was born king. We saw what star? His star. It wasn't just a star in the sky. There's a thing now where you can ride online or wherever and get to uh, name a star for yourself. That might be five million other people choosing that same star. But it's your star, you know? It was his star. They followed his star to the person born king of the Jews. That's what began this whole process. And they were worshipers. And here's how, they, here's how you and I worship with the wise men. Number one is this. Find the stars, okay? God will use whatever he needs to use, however he needs to use it, to reveal himself to us. Anything. God will use it to work in our lives. What got them on their journey for searching for Jesus? They were from the east, and they saw his star rising in the sky. You see, being from the east and that star, very important when they're about them finding this star. They came from the east, which to an Israelite is the area of Persia, that region. Now, history. Who was in Persia hundreds of years before that? The Israelites in bondage. Who was a prominent person among the Israelites in bondage? A young man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was identified as a very intelligent young man, along with a few other cohorts of his. And they, they put them in the schools, which would be in the schools of the wise men, the astrologers. Daniel was strong in his faith. And we believe that Daniel probably started sharing Scripture with them because he was about sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus, sharing the Word, sharing prophecy. And there's a prophecy in God's Word that is very significant to getting them here. Numbers 24, verse 17 says this in God's Word, A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will rise from Israel. I, we believe Daniel probably shared this, and they had passed it down from generation to generation, and they began to see, they would study about this Messiah, study about these things, and they're like, oh, the star has appeared. Well, 
That must be his star. That must be what he's talking about. Let's go. It says, Jerusalem, let's go. Go on in Israel. Now, anybody that's in theology or studies scripture knows that star in Numbers 24 is not a literal star, okay? A star right there is a very important, prominent person, okay? Scepter is not just a scepter. Scepter is symbolic for a king. Star, symbol of prominent person, important person. Scepter, symbolic of a king. A prominent person who is king is arising out of Israel. They read it as this literal star. What does that speak to us? Finding the stars. The truth is that God is active everywhere among all of us, putting things into our lives, trying in love to point us to Him. If you and I look deep enough and you look seriously enough, we will probably see how God has been putting these stars in our lives as well. Now, Jesus, God does not condone, He condemns worshiping in the stars, okay? But these astrologers who were searching truth, searching Jesus, God sort of humorously says, well, I'll humor you. I'll just, I'll put a physical star up there and I'll use that star to get you on your journey. God will use anything and everything in our lives if we're paying attention to get our attention. Maybe those coincidences in your life that have been happening, maybe they're trying, starting to become not so coincidental. Maybe that blessing that came your way out of nowhere is like, where did that come from? Hmm. I think there might be somebody behind this who knows better than me. Now, this is a hard one. Maybe a difficult chapter in your life. As C.S. Lewis would say to us, God shouts in our pain. He whispers in pleasure, shouts in our pain. It's called God's megaphone to us in the world. Maybe it's that rough chapter in your life. And you're praying it's not the next chapter in the, the book, but it's the chapter you're going through. You're like, God, I need to draw closer to you. God will put stars in our lives. When you recognize the stars, here's, but to catch this now, it's a big one. When you see and recognize the stars, you have to know the stars have very limited purpose. Recognize the stars God puts in your life, but know that on their own, they are limited. On their own, stars just simply are not enough. Let me point out why. Where does it say the star had led the wise men in their journey following that star? Where, right here? It led them to Jerusalem, right? Jesus was not in Jerusalem. Where is Jesus? He's in Bethlehem. But look at what happened once they got to Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. So that he assembled, Herod did, coincidentally, all the chiefs, priests, and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Right here, the chief priests and scribes were summoned to do what? Go to the scriptures, the prophecies, to discern where Jesus really was. I want to tell you this. That's why we 
make a determination and decision in our lives to focus on God's Word. Because that's where we find Jesus. The stars in our lives will only point us in the direction of God, Jesus. But only the Scriptures will take us to Jesus. And here's your catchphrase. The stars will only take us so far, but only the Scriptures will get us all the way to Jesus. They get to Jerusalem. Herod says, bring them in. I don't even know. And they were like, we need to know too because we're stumped right now. They go to the Scriptures and said, it's Bethlehem. Stars will take you so far. you got to see them, but they'll only take you so far. Then it leads you to a second way of how we worship like the wise man is this. Radically respond to Jesus. Make a radical response. Look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. I laugh because that's so humorous. We know the story. Did Herod really want to worship Jesus? Not, no chance. No, he did not want to worship. While he pretended worship, he planned murder. How do we know this? Scripture says he's going to kill babies later on, but all we know is by, by history. Herod, let me just find him, okay? This is truth. Herod was a paranoid, murderous lunatic. Herod was crazy. Herod, when he took the throne, was paranoid about the throne, losing it. So he summons 300 of his most known enemies to the palace under a ruse of peace and says, I'm bringing peace, you guys. Come on in. We're going to make peace right here, right now. He gathers them in the palace, kills all 300. His wife posed a threat to the throne. He kills his wife. Three sons posed a threat. He killed his own sons. Herod was a paranoid, murderous lunatic. And right here, this baby, who we know as Jesus, in his birth posed a very legitimate rival claim to the throne. So Herod says, I'm getting rid of him. Herod was crazy, paranoid, murderer. But, I got, but on one level, Herod got something totally right, something made sense in his paranoia. And it's something that's gripped my heart this week as I was studying, and it's this, you cannot have two kings and only one throne. He got that right. In his weird way, he spoke truth to us. You can't have two kings and one throne. It's impossible in the same way you can't have two kings and one heart leading to the same person. You and I have one throne. It's called our heart. It's called our life. And there's only one throne. It can't have two kings. And we have two kings rivaling for that throne. Is Jesus or me? And one's got to go. Two kings can't rule the same people. It causes chaos. It disrupts things. One has to be eliminated. So I have to ask myself, ask yourself, is it me or is it Jesus? Who's going to go? So I ask you, who's leading you? Who is in charge of your heart? Who is the king of your heart and your life? 
Is it you or is it Jesus? And I will tell you this, when Jesus comes into your life, he comes in as king or he comes in not at all. Jesus comes in as absolute king and Lord. You're either surrendered fully to him or you reject him fully to his claim of the throne in your life. And here's, you're either with Herod or you're worshiping like the wise men. Where are you? Now, the fourth way we worship like the wise men is this. Be overwhelmed by Jesus. Look at verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was. God and his, says, there it is, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. When the star stops at where Jesus was, right there, what happened to them? It says they were overwhelmed with joy. Had it not even gone in the house yet, but they, the star stopped and they said, We're here. He is just behind that door. Right here in the scriptures, Matthew cannot grasp in a deep enough way for us the depth of joy in the wise men's hearts. Some translations say overwhelmed with joy, like here. Other translations describe, try to describe the depth of joy. But I want to tell you this. Matthew uses four different Greek words right here in this place of joy. We say just overwhelmed with singular joy. Matthew puts in four separate Greek words for joy right here in the actual text. So what is Matthew saying right here? When they saw where the star stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. No. They saw the house, saw the place it stopped. They were there. They had arrived. It was joy, 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 joy. It built an excitement in their hearts. They could not, we can't fathom the amount of joy that was in their hearts. They'd finally found who they'd been looking for. Now I ask you, with them being blown away, their response in that way, what causes joy? Jesus didn't give them gifts. He didn't perform miracles. What caused them joy? Just the fact of being in Jesus' presence. Does the presence of Jesus bring you that amount of joy in your life? Being with him. Standing there in his house and he got inside, they realized this child is Messiah. He is king. He is savior. He is Lord for them. And they realized for the entire world. That's what Messiah meant to them. They understood. What was their natural response to Jesus? Catch it there. The next verse. What was their response? Look at verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What was their response? They fell down on their knees and worshiped him. I love the fact that it says it fell to their knees. Now, if I, and just in physical realms right now, I know how my body works. And if it's me, I'm going to grunt all the way as I slowly go down and brace myself for the, for the impact. <laughs> and I'll grunt as they creak and crack all the way back up again. Anybody else, you know the feeling. 
But they said, pain aside, whatever, they fell to their knees. And I promise you, if I fall to my knees, I'll have trouble tomorrow. But they said, they, the picture the image, they fell to their knees. These majestic, professional, well-educated, wise men humbled themselves in Jesus' presence. They didn't just go to their knees. They fell to their knees and worshiped him. You see, real worship causes us to put ourselves aside and totally focus on Jesus. Real worship makes us let it all go. Real worship just happens when we find and are in the presence of who we're looking for. See, the wise men didn't even think about it. It just happened. They were overwhelmed with joy at the knowing they were there. They saw Jesus, and immediately they fell down on their knees and worshiped. Is that you? Is that us? Do we unashamedly just fall down in his presence? Overwhelmed. That magnification of joy in our lives. And in their worship, it says they brought him gifts. Natural response. When you and I are caught up in real worship of Jesus, like the wise men, there's gifts we bring. Now, for me and you and all of us, it's time, it's talents, it's treasures. For the wise men, it was three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says they fell through these in worship. Verse 11, they, again, verse 11, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I tell you, these gifts were, were strange, but truth-telling, prophetic gifts to present to Jesus about what was to come. You know, so often we don't really understand the impact of these three gifts they brought, as strange as they were. J.D. Greer shared an illustration I heard one time about his illustration about three kids in a Christmas play at their church representing the wise men. And they were the ones bringing in the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And he says the first child comes in and has the gold and says, I present you gold and set it down. Next child comes in and says, I present you myrrh. Set the myrrh down. And that big word frankincense stumped that child's mind and didn't know what to respond or didn't even know how to pronounce or what it was. And he said, um, Frank sent this. And he laid it down. <laughs> I think we can be as confused as those children about these gifts. You know, I don't lay claim to having witnessed that, but I heard it. It's pretty humorous to me. Gold, medal of kings. They knew this. Jesus was, is, always will be king. That frankincense, this, frankincense, that's an incense, not just an essential oil. Don't want to bust your bubble there. It's not just an essential oil. That was incense used in their day in the temple for ritual worship to get rid of the stench. Myrrh, an expensive perfume ointment used in burial. This child would grow up to die for them and for the whole world. The frankincense, he would be a ritual sacrifice in our place on the cross. For all of our sin, their sin, our sin, everybody's sin of the world when we accept him. See, Jesus came to earth to forgive our sins. He came to reunite us with himself. He came to care for us, supply us in life and in death. He came to free us from sin's crippling grip 
and destructive force. Jesus came to reunite, restore, revive, and renew. Jesus is a king. Get the picture. He's a king who came to give his life as a ransom, a payment, perfect sacrifice by dying in our place on the cross for our sin. Jesus was born to die. And here come these wise men in their worship. Let me bring it back to Mary right here. Watch what's happening. What's happening in her story and her ongoing journey, saga in this whole journey of Jesus. She knows as she responded to Gabriel, I'm responding, he was my Savior. She said in her song, he is my Lord, my Savior, who she needed like all of us. But her role in the story was, look again back at Luke 2. Simeon said what? Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I think right here, as they came in worship, ordained by God to come at this time to present him gifts, the gold, of frankincense, and the myrrh, Mary's standing in the background and she's thinking about this word of Simeon. Now, fast Matthew 2 later, it says Herod, when he's duped by the wise men, they leave, they get out of town. He says, go out and kill every child you find in that region. What age? Two and under. So we know that Jesus was somewhere in that range, most likely up the upper end of that low. He didn't want to miss Jesus. He's going to get it. He's going to get him. Try to get him. So she receives this word at eight days. Eight days old. Now he's two. And at this juncture in the story, she's realizing, beginning to comprehend and understand about her son deeper that we need to understand. That I think drove her to worship, but it also disturbed her. She sees them bringing gold, medal of kings. My son is a king. But then, whew, here comes that frankincense. And incense used in ritual sacrifice. Here goes the sword in a little bit. She's going, he said, it would pierce my soul. Then, here comes the myrrh. An expensive ointment used in burial. My son is a king be king my son will be a sacrifice my son will die where are we with all this do we appreciate the significance of those gifts and what they were what they are for us does it in a sense pierce our own soul but doesn't, in a sense, move us to worship because He is King. Because He was that perfect ritual sacrifice in our place on that cross. And He did give His life for us and died. Was buried in the tomb. But we don't end. The, we, got a, we got a whole different narrative because we know the end. What do we do with this? Are we going to worship like the wise men? 
Are we going to let it pierce into our soul to grip us, to understand in our heart and soul? It's like, go to God and say, God, I know, I acknowledge there's only one throne in my life. There's one heart that I've got. And I've been trying to rival you for that throne. God, kick me off that throne. I'm done trying to rule my life. Get me out of the way. Rule this throne in my heart. Help me value who you are and what you've done for me. This Christmas season can change our lives if we'll let it. Let that penetrate us. So grip us today. As we stand now and worship through song, let God speak and work and move through God speaking through the song word. And as God works on you, you work with God and God works on your heart. Pray where you stand. Pray at the front. We'll pray with you. But surrender, submit to God today. Let God have his way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We love you this day. Be glorified in all ways and all things in our lives. Help us to surrender. Help us, Father, to understand the depth of what you've done for us. As Mary really understood, help us understand this. Help us to respond in worship to you like the wise man. And say, God, there's one throne in my life. Can't be two kings. And God, I'm tired of trying to rule. God, please take over. Be king in my life. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.